You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this week's edition of Wealth Tech on Deck. Today, we will speak with someone who has been an industry thought leader and a get it done individual in the annuity space for decades. Scott Stoltz is a managing director at iCapital Solutions and has had extensive experience at Raymond James, Jackson National, and Simon, to name a few. He's played a variety of roles, including sales, marketing, strategy, product development, and operations. So he covers the gamut. So, Scott, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks, Jack. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. So, Scott, let's start with you telling uh, us about iCapital Solutions. Tell us about the company, your role in it, what do you guys do. Also, if you would fill us in on the markets, firms, advisors you serve, the range of products you offer, and how you are incorporating technology into the solutions you're bringing to the marketplace. So, please tell us. Sure. So, iCapital is a technology firm that specializes in the alternative investment space. So anybody who's worked in the alt play business knows how tough the technology can be, how unstandardized the data can be, and a lot of paperwork, and how do I get values and all of that. So they basically built the industry's best system on dealing with those products. They also do feeder funds. So if you've got, they, they make it possible for individuals to invest in alt products for, you know, not the required minimum of two or five million. It could be like a quarter of a million dollars. And then what they do and with their systems and their people is they accumulate all of those orders and they do all the accounting, administration, reporting on an individual level, and then just pass the large amount onto the money manager. So from a money manager's point of view, it's like they're dealing with one being iCapital and allowing advisors to do alts for a smaller clients. About a year ago, iCapital purchased Simon. That's how I came to iCapital. Simon does similar things for both structured investments and annuities. So this was iCapital's ability to get into those spaces. And like alternative investments, one thing both structured investments and annuities have in common with them is the fact that it needs technology to do the processing because the processing is difficult. Again, a lack of standardization, hard to get data, and our platforms help with all of that. Gotcha. So let's back up a little bit because I want to hear more about what you're doing with iCapital and how the annuity space and alts are coming together. And I think it's all around uh, having different ways to own investments, uh, whatever they might be called. But before we get into all that, how do you get started in this whole game? I know you've been in the annuity world forever, maybe not forever, but for an awful long time and done a lot of great stuff. So tell us a little bit about how do you get started in this kind of a fast forward on your career journey to date? So, yeah, this year marks my 40th year in the annuity business, which is hard for me to even fathom, quite frankly. I actually started when I graduated from graduate school and Edward Jones, I was in St. Louis, offered me a position as an annuity product manager. My first reaction was product manager job out of school. That sounds pretty good. I'm interested. My next question was, what the heck is an annuity? So, (laughs) but I took the job, figured I could learn as I went. 
I went looking for a book on annuities, figured I'll just learn it that way. It didn't exist. So I knew I had to learn it yeah. literally on the job. Yeah. To be honest with you, Jack, I felt it would just be like a stepping stone to something else within the financial services industry. Sure. But one job led to another, which led to another, which led to another. And, uh, and then I ended up on the insurance company side. And as you said, I've had worked for multiple insurance companies in multiple different roles and then went to Raymond James on the distribution side. And here I am 40 years later, still waiting for that job that is not in the annuity space. So <laughs> I finally here work for a firm that is not an annuity firm, but I am in the annuity team for iCapital. So I'm still here. Gotcha. So I've been around the annuity space uh almost as long as you and not quite quite as long, but I've been in other spaces as well. Talk a little bit about the challenges the annuity industry faces. It uh, seems to be one of those things that it just never goes away. It's uh, frustrating for those that are believers, and I'm a believer. And I think it has a lot to do with operations and paperwork and regulatory stuff. I'm sure you'll get to that. But talk a little bit about that, if you would. What are some of the uh, industry challenges that, in your opinion, are not talked about enough? So you're right. It is all related, right? In that technology has come a long way, actually, in the annuity space. Sure. But what the challenge is, is that every time there's like a technology solution, there's another piece that needs to be done because of the regulatory part. I mean, it used to be a, a fixed annuity app was a half a page long, right? Tell me who yeah. the owner and the annuitant is and how much you want and how long the rate guarantee. You're done. That's all you need. Yeah. Today, even a fixed annuity app is like 10 pages long because of the disclosures that are required. And it's kind of ironic because the more paperwork there is, the harder it is to do. But then it becomes more perceived that it's a complex product by the regulators, which leads to more disclosures and more paperwork. So it's like this. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to chase something that never stops. But I think one of the challenges that people don't talk enough about is it is time, in my opinion, for the annuity suitability rules to be updated. They really haven't changed in the last 20 years, Jack, as you know. And yeah. they were all written when 85 to 90 percent of the business done by broker dealers was variable annuities. Yeah. And that would have been before anything like living benefits. So it was really at that time about tax deferred investment growth. And people perceived it was just simply a more complex convoluted way to do that, hence the regulatory rules that were begun to put in place. Yeah. But if you fast forward to today, if you look at even a firm like Morgan Stanley, variable annuities are only about a third of what they do today. Yeah. Over half of what they do is fixed and index annuities. If you look at a firm like Raymond James, where I was previously, today only about 10 to 15% of their business is variable annuities. And then most of what's done on the variable annuity side has a living benefit. So it's now a protection story as opposed to yeah. a tax for growth story. Yet we are working under the same rules from a suitability point as if nothing's changed. Yeah. So if I'm selling and recommending to you a five-year fixed annuity that's guaranteeing 5% for five years, let's face it, how much regulatory oversight should there be on that transaction? You're not going to lose money. You know what rate, what you're, how much money you're going to have five years from now. It's not complex. It provides much needed protection to retirees. Yet you got to fill out a ton of paperwork just to make that recommendation. Yeah. And I think a lot of that outdated keeps advisors from doing the business. Once they've done it for the first time, they say, 
I'm never doing that again. I'll just sell the CD or the government bond or whatever and provide a different means of protection. Why don't you sort of break out high level, break out the different kinds of products that are available today with our audience, a lot of advisory type folks that are hearing about annuities, hearing it belongs as part of a portfolio, but maybe as, in a simple way, what are the sort of different types of products and how do they, how would they be part of a, an overall portfolio? You got to first decide which of the two paths you want to go down. Are, am I looking for tax deferred accumulation or am I looking for retirement income? And increasingly today, it's a lot about a tax deferred accumulation because the baby boomers have arrived. They're in retirement. They don't want to see their account values that they've built up go down and they just want to get a decent rate of return. So that's the first thing. And, and under that part, you have fixed and index annuities, which are driving more than half of the industry sales today. You know, if you go to a conservative client and say, gee, you can get 5% on a fixed annuity, you should be able to get close to six and a half, seven, hopefully on an index annuity, depending on how the markets do, but you won't lose money. That's a pretty easy story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you want a little more growth and you've got someone who's more of an equity client, then you can go to a structured annuity that the industry sadly calls Rylas at times. And, you know, it gives you some protection on the downside, not completely. But again, it's a protection story. All three of these are mostly about, mm-hmm. I want to protect what I have yep. and get some decent rate of return. On the opposite side is the income story, right? Now I'm in retirement. I need to generate a retirement income. And annuities are a great but underappreciated way to do that. Other than pensions and Social Security, as you know, it's really the only other way to get a paycheck Mm -hmm. that is protected for my lifetime. And I know it's going to show up. Yet, it's not used near as much as it should be, probably. So talk about, if you would, because I'm quite sure you have strong feelings about this. I'm I'm pretty sure I probably agree with them. But talk about where the industry is heading around retirement, because if everything I see in here, it's all about the platform. It's all about having a variety of different kinds of accounts, whether they're called ETFs or SMAs or UMAs, or they're called RILAs or they're called fixed or variable annuities, whatever they might be, they're coming together. And the future seems to be around how you put that together. And it's not just the upside. I think we've all come to learn that trees don't grow to the sky, in fact. And so you need some protection. So, And then when it comes to income, you want to have some portion of your income guaranteed. So talk a little bit about that, how that comes together as increasingly we're talking more at a portfolio level than just a product sale. I think um, people have begun to realize now that the, the retirement boom is officially here, that building a retirement portfolio is different than building an accumulation portfolio. And part of it is, though, that it really is it's not only different, but it's harder. There Mm -hmm. are things you simply don't know that you need to know or at least have to have a good guess on. And so it's kind of people are recognizing it's a bit more of a science than I think people anticipated. Mm -hmm. And I think as that realization occurs, continues, and people and advisors in particular start incorporating annuities and other, you know, into retirement income portfolios as part of the income, Mm -hmm. we'll continue to see more money flow into annuities and become a greater acceptance. But we still deal with kind of different, we mix together the message of accumulation versus decumulation. And I'm going to give you a perfect example. So this was in Barron's about three weeks ago. It was 10 income plays for 2023 second half. Now you can imagine 
I was like, well, I'm interested to see what they're going to recommend. Sure. And what I realized is, first of all, I wasn't too surprised that they're recommending dividend paying stocks, utilities, bonds of different kinds, REITs, et cetera. And I'm like, well, that's not, I'm getting close to retirement. That's not what I think of in the terms of income, right? I now think in terms of retirement income, which means I want to generate a paycheck, something spendable. Right. What Barron's talks about, and a lot of advisors who are still focused on the accumulation phase talk about, is that I'm trying to give you a specific rate of return. Let's say I'm shooting for 8%. Mm-hmm. And if I give you a stock that's paying 6%, I've already covered three quarters of what it is, provided the stock doesn't go down. So in my mind, under that view, the income is really a portion of the return. Mm-hmm. It's not income as retirement income and as I think of retirement income. So that's just a basic example of how we even, in my mind, need to change the way we refer to things and talk about things. You know, I'd love to see Barron's do a counter article that says 10 retirement income methodologies for 2023, because I think they'd have a very different list. Actually, the Wall Street Journal just ran an article around income annuities. I don't know if you saw that. It was earlier this week. We're we're talking the end of July now. But there was a actually a Wall Street Journal article. I was shocked to see it, but it talked about income annuities. It's like, how did that get in the Wall Street <laughs> Journal? But it seems like there's movement. Is that is that your take? I mean, where do you see all this going? Because I know you've been a, a strong advocate for making sense of not only the accumulation, but certainly the retirement income portfolio and, and how you generate income, how you decumulate. So what are your thoughts? Where are we going? What do we need to do as a business, as an industry, as a segment of the industry? What do we need to do to fix this? Well, I think that it's it's hard from a legal point of view, regulatory point of view, but we need to get people to understand whether it's the advisors recommend, making the recommendation or for the clients that are moving into retirement or in retirement, that an annuity is really like another pension or a layer on your social security. People understand social security, the check that arrives. They understand getting a pension check. Every advisor will tell you that their clients that have both social security and a pension are way easier to manage in retirement than those that don't. And so if we can think of it that way and get a client's to investors to understand that what we're really talking about is providing a supplement to your Social Security or your pension, people will accept that. Now, the challenge, though, Jack, is that I've got this fundamental belief that while everybody wants a pension and more money from Social Security, nobody wants to fund it. Right, right. Right. They just want it. Even with a pension, I don't perceive I really paid for that. Because it was just like this benefit I got. I made less money during my career because of it, but nobody looks at it that way. Social Security, yeah, I made contributions, but I didn't have a choice, right? It just came out. I never saw it. So one of the huge challenges to get people to buy an annuity, in my opinion, is they have to, like, write a check. Yeah, yeah. And agree to send money to an insurance company and hope they don't die soon, right? Um, Otherwise, there's perception they've lost. Yeah. And we got to get people to understand that what you're doing is you're supplying insurance on your retirement income. And so don't think of it as another investment. It's think of it as you're buying peace of mind. That's what you're paying for. And I think if we frame it that way, it will become more acceptable. But it is a challenge. You know, if I've accumulated $2 million 
then my advisor says, hey, we're going to send 500000 to XYZ insurance company at this income. I like the income, but I'm going to hate it when that next statement that shows up that says my $2 million is now a million and a half, right? I worked yes. hard to get to that $2 million. I don't want to see it fall by five hundred, yeah. And that's a real obstacle. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, it's interesting. I'm not sure if you're aware, but we have a social security tool. There are many very good ones out there. Ours happens to be probably the biggest. We have about 100,000 advisors that use the tool. And what's interesting is we basically show if you delay social security benefits from 62 to 70, it's an 8% per year increase in terms of the income you get as you defer. And when people see that and we put a dollar value to it, they go, oh, I think the average last year was $185,000 of found money over the ensuing 10 years if you just let it ride out. And then what's more interesting, and this I think maybe we can talk about this offline, but one of the things I, we find fascinating is that once you show them that the benefit of Social Security, which they like, and that it could be more if they wait. And then you can actually add an annuity to add assurances on top of all that. They like that. And you know what the next question is? We, we thought it was just because we helped them find money, we could quantify the benefit. What they really liked, the advisor that is, what the advisor really liked is the next question after the uh, client went through this, the next question is, what should I do about my rollovers? So in other words, it was found money. As you know, you've been on the industry for a long time. I call rollovers the currency of growth in our industry. Right. Yeah, every advisor, that's what they want more than anything else is to have a rollover, preferably fall in their lap. But one of the things we found is that by just using Social Security, which they understand, kind of, but if you show me if you defer and then you can add an annuity that anyway, I think one of the things and I'd love your comments on this as an industry, I think we need to get better at making it easier to kind of get that you're better off for not all of your money. This is not an all or none proposition, but as you put a certain portion of your money in a more protected kind of situation, you're going to be happier and more comfortable with what you're doing. But I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And your comments are interesting about the rollover. But as I think of it right off the top of my head, I guess I'm not surprised because in the accumulation phase, most clients have money in four or five different spots, right? They might have it at their bank. They might have two advisors. And I think they kind of think of it as a way to diversify, right? Okay, okay, this guy screws up or this woman screws up. Fine, I got more money over here and so I won't get hurt. In an accumulation phase, that's kind of okay. I don't need to know where your rest of your money is. I just need to take care and grow what you gave me. But in the retirement phase, I need to know where everything is. I've got to coordinate everything. I got to coordinate the withdrawals between taxable, tax deferred, tax free. So I'm not surprised to hear the clients say, oh, you've now given me this peace of mind about my retirement, you know, because everybody's got this fear, I'm going to run out of money. How much do I really need? Am I going to be okay? That's the question, right? Am I going to be okay? So if the advisor helps them feel as though they're going to be okay, of course, they're going to say, well, I've got this other money. Can you do something with that too? So yeah, I could see how that would easily be a means to start bringing funds together. And I would assume in terms of where you see the industry going around retirement, one of the big gaps I observe, I'm sure you see the same, is that the client is more inclined, especially as they're getting into their 60s and beyond. They like the idea of guarantee. They're not so comfortable with you know letting it ride in the market, especially what we've all been through over the past few years. They're just not as comfortable. And they, we are in a retirement boom. That It's finally arrived. But your thoughts on that? Where, where does the industry need to go to, to, frankly, get advisors more comfortable in talking about what the clients really want? Well, it's part of it is education that they need to understand what it is. 
I think one of the ways around that also is to get advisors to understand that not only does it give peace of mind to their clients, but it also makes their job easier. Let's go back to my example of the client who has Social Security and a pension. The reason it's easier to manage that person's retirement portfolio is because they've already got so much guaranteed income. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about what adjustments do I need to make if the rest of the portfolio drops 25% in a year. Mm -hmm. When I was at Raymond James, I had one client and it was just a friend of mine who begged me to like watch over his money and um, single had about, you know, million and a half dollars or so, but he had two pensions and he had social security he had his house paid for. So between his two pensions and social security, he had more money coming in than he was spending. Yep, yep. And so building his rest of his portfolio and managing it was easy. Now you take away those two pensions and all he's got is Social Security. Yeah, yeah. I got to build a lot more moats around that portfolio. I got to worry more about how sure. the market does. The choice of products becomes more important. So one of the things I try and tell advisors is, look, you're making your life easier, too, by taking some of this money, mm -hmm. adding in more lifetime protected income. Then you have so much more flexibility with the rest of the portfolio and a lot less likely chance of getting a phone call from that client when the market drops 20% asking, and you know, we have this vacation coming up, can I still take it? Yeah. Right. So I think that's how one of the ways you get advisors to say, okay, yeah, I'll consider doing this. Because most of them think they can do it themselves. And they can. But my question is, why would you want to? Yeah. Right. I could probably figure out how to fix my roof. I don't want to, and I'm not <laughs> sure, you know, sure. I just let someone that knows that does this do it. Yep. Absolutely. So this has been great, Scott. I really appreciate the uh, the conversation as we look to wrap up. Uh, what are three key takeaways you'd like to leave with our audience? Well, takeaway number one is that annuity business is still too difficult to do, and the industry's got more work to do to, to get that fixed. Takeaway number two is that I'd love for the industry to get into a conversation with the regulators about let's update the whole annuity suitability rules to reflect the way annuities are used today and the greater number of uh, retirees that need them. Mm -hmm. And number three is trying to look at annuities as a means in retirement, annuity income in retirement, as a means to make things simpler and a peace of mind and making sure that that check is there. And to me, those are the three major takeaways. If I could get one of those three done, I'd be thrilled. Great. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Now for our my favorite question in our podcast each week, what do you do outside of work that uh, people uh, might find interesting or surprising that you particularly enjoy or are passionate about? Hmm. Okay. Well, I have a pretty extensive sports memorabilia collection. Really? Interesting. Mostly around baseball stuff, because I just find that more interesting, although I find today's baseball game not near as exciting as it used to be. Yeah. I just don't find it that interesting when 30 batters come to plate and either strike out or walk in a given game. But yeah. I always have some sort of project that I'm working on as far as trying to add to the collection. So as an example, uh -huh. I bought probably about 15 years ago a coffee table book that Topps Cards put out back in 1985. Uh -huh. And in this book, which is about this thick, it literally has a picture of every single baseball card that they'd ever printed from 1951 to 1985. Interesting. 
And whoever had this book before me started on a quest to try and get as many of those pictures of the cards signed as possible by the players. Uh-huh. They were clearly a Yankees fan because 90% of the people they had were Yankees. <laughs> that's kind of a good thing because six of the autographs, they had six Mickey Mantle autographs in that. So that was figured it was a good start. Wow. So over the last 15 years, I have been trying to get as many of these cards signed, pictures of cards signed as possible. I think I'm up to 260 players and close to 500 total autographs. Wow. In fact, two days from now, I am leaving to Chicago to go to the National Sports Card Collectibles Convention, uh, where I'll get about another 12 players that'll be there signing autographs added to the book. So That's great. That's great. Good for you. I was wondering how you did it because my son used to collect baseball cards and he'd actually mail them. I can't imagine some of the ones you're talking about you'd want to put in the mail. Yeah, I'm not mailing this book to somebody without knowing, right? You know, uh, knowing it's coming back, et cetera. uh, And it's also getting more difficult because the only players that are in it, in the book, had to have played in 1985. And so... They're starting to die off on me. So I'm going to get yeah, to a point yeah. here before too long where I won't be able to add anybody to it. Uh, gotcha. Well, that's fascinating. That's interesting. Well, Scott, thanks. It's been really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, for our audience, if you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again, Scott. It's been a real pleasure. Well, thanks for having me, Jack. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.